today we will go into the Law of One, Session 51. This was received May 13, 1981, 11 exchanges. Uh, about half of them are short, but the other half are quite significant. Uh, talking about harvest, talking about UFOs, uh, energy centers, and um, um, Gnosticism, and, um, <clears throat> and a little bit of cosmology. So we're all over the place, but it's obviously <laughs> deepening. And it just so happens that this is the beginning of Book 3 <clears throat> in the four original four volumes of the Law of One raw material. I guess they put 25 and 25 or something like that in Volumes 1 and 2. So we're now moving into Book 3. And for those people who've read 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 3, 4, uh, you can remember, oh, now we're getting heavy. Book 3 is in some ways the heaviest of all, or Book 4 maybe, but Book 3 is thin in the original printing and um, it's a very um, you know even deeper but um, uh, certain there's a certain quality to book three that's different than one and two in my experience uh, of course everything's different but um, book three uh, um, I had a certain feeling for in the original readings so let's start 51.0 the greeting um, looks like all in brackets, but the second the bracket doesn't end, <laughs> the other side of the bracket doesn't end there, so that's strange. It's a typo. Uh, I am Ra, I greet you in the love and in the light of the one infinite creator. We communicate now. <clears throat> and Don jumps in. 51.1 says, Don says, as we begin book three of the love one, there's the other bracket, there are a couple of questions one of fairly non-transient importance and one which I consider to be a bit transient uh, that I feel obligated to ask if you dot 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 something because of communication with others something garbled the first so there are two questions he wants to ask one is non-transient transient means temporal or impermanent um, one question being of principles that are essential, and another question that he felt to be a bit transient. So he goes in. The first, meaning the first question. The first is just clearing up final points about harvest for our friend, somebody. And I was wondering if there is a supervision over harvest and why, if so, why this supervision is necessary and how it works, since an entity's harvestability is the violet ray. Is it necessary for entities to supervise the harvest, or is it automatic? Could you answer, the, answer this, please? <clears throat> so this is a very important answer about the supervision or management administration of, of planetary harvest or the harvest of souls at the end of third density here. Uh, and you can get a sense of the structure of um, the octave in terms of higher dimensional and higher beings assisting the evolution of, the, um, of soul evolution in the octave's cosmic plan. Ra said, in time of harvest, there are always harvesters. The fruit is formed as it will be, but there is some supervision necessary to ensure that this bounty is placed as it should be without the bruise or the blemish. There are those of three levels watching over harvest. The first level is planetary, and that which may be called angelic. This type of guardian 
includes the mind-body-spirit complex totality or higher self of an entity and those inner plane entities which have been attracted to this entity through its inner seeking. The second class of those who ward or take care of this process are those of the Confederation, who have the honor duty of standing in the small places at the edge of the steps of light love, so that those entities being harvested will not, no matter how confused or unable to make contact with their higher self, stumble and fall away for any reason other than the strength of the light. These confederation entities catch those who stumble and set them aright so that they may continue into the light. The third group watching over this process is that group you call the guardians. This group is from the octave above our own and serves in this manner as light bringers. These guardians provide the precise emissions in light love in exquisitely fastidious disseminations of discrimination, so that the precise light love vibration of each entity may be ascertained. Thus, the harvest is automatic in that those harvested will respond according to that which is unchangeable during harvest. That's the violet ray emanation. However, these helpers are around to ensure a proper harvesting so that each entity may have the fullest opportunity to express its violet ray selfhood. So, <clears throat> quite an answer there. Not too many other, none, none other channeled, pro, channeled documents or channeled sources of uh, human New Age channeling has this level of specificity, nor did the quo material, or quo through Carla later. Um, again, to me, it's a clear indication that this transmission, the raw material, is the real deal. Um, <clears throat> not only is it highly specific, but it's highly systematic, and it shows the um, the integrated precision and um, beauty of the integration and precision of uh, assistance to cosmic plan in the octave. The the you know the grand clock work of the octave, um, the octave being seven dimensional cosmic plan, in which soul evolution occurs the function of cosmic plan as support for soul evolution being that which is um, that which is of the development of experience and consciousness for the logos uh, through seven dimensions so uh, on the one hand Ra is basically agreeing and um, agreeing and disagreeing with Don's question in a sense that yes there is automaticity Yes, there is an automatic aspect to this, of course, which is the violet ray emanation or response by the violet ray complete seven ray configuration, right? The unified seven ray configuration of any entity is unique. That combined integrated seven ray signature, which is unique for each entity at any point in its own evolution, is the violet ray emanation which itself determines harvest, period. When a planet goes to a higher dimension, or, you know, there's planetary dimensional shift, as in the case of planet Earth for now, um, those who can stand the light uh, are welcome to the greater light of fourth density. They, those who can stand the light by their proven uh, achievement of seven ray integration or, or development of the seven rays 
that is shown in the violet ray emanation. Uh, those who can do it, make it. Those who haven't done it, can't. So there's automaticity, or it's automatic, yeah. However, there are helpers around uh, because, uh, you know, it's a, it's a very delicate process. So there are three levels here. <clears throat> Excuse me. Three levels watching over this harvest. Interestingly, Ra calls the first one angelic. It's planetary angelic. This would be actually, you see, um, there, there really are, uh, there are many ways that people use the word angelic. In Buddhism, Hinduism, the term deva, D-E-V-A, um, is sometimes translated as God or angel. The Bible talks about angels. Meanwhile, the, and Quran also, meanwhile, there is a difference between <clears throat> guardians of eighth density and guardians that um, are interplane entities of third density and the angelic hierarchy of seven dimensions in the octave, which, is, uh, which are the representatives of the Logos, who cannot sin, don't make mistakes, don't have free will, <clears throat> and simply um, reproduce ideal design of the Logos uh, in all of their service activities. Meaning if they're helping a plant, they help the plant move towards the ideal energy consciousness configuration uh, uh, optimal for that plant at any point in its own evolution. Same thing for human. Same thing for archangels, which I think are six-density angelics. That's not the same as Ra's more loose use of the word angelic here. So there are uh, angelic entities, uh, more than seven billion, don't worry, meaning there are enough angelics to take care of dimensional shift or plant or harvest, humanity's harvest uh, <clears throat> that's going on now. So there are many many and they're created um you know <laughs> out of the out of the heart mind of the logos directly y meanwhile they work at seven dimensions and they're they are important for this harvesting process too so you can just see the <clears throat> multiple and sometimes confusing use of the different terms here so calling the first level planetary angelic um is okay because there are, you know, representatives of the Logos that are associated with third density, fourth density, uh, assigned to planet Earth. Meanwhile, Ra then uses the term guardian, which LNL was smart enough to not put capitalized. <clears throat> then they're saying this is these angelics are like guardians. They sort of do guardian working, but they're not the same as eighth density guardians with a capital G. And here, that includes what, you know, Planetary angelic is quite distinct from mind-body-spirit complex totality or higher self. So that's a little confusing, but all right. So we're talking about the seventh density self is involved and sixth density or higher self or Atman is involved. Inner plane entities, uh, meaning astral white magicians, meaning uh, astral higher astral plane Sangha, Sangha, Ashram, entities, initiates, adepts um, that live on upper astral planes, 3D time-space, and do all sorts of things, they also participate in helping in dimensional, in, in the harvesting of souls or souls graduation. Harvesting of souls is not Grim Reaper.
for any fool who's still thinking that way. I know you're not. Um, and I think those people have sputtered themselves out from the comment boards in the last few years. But this term harvest is a Christian related term. And, you know, it's not, uh, it's simply associated with a soul graduation from one grade, from one level to the next, which is, you know, called the path. <clears throat> but you can see um, a somewhat sloppy or uh, confusing use of some terms here. The uh, higher self, I don't think, is an angelic. <laughs> the angelic hierarchy is not higher self, and the seventh density self is not angelic. The mind-body-spirit complex, higher self, uh, evolved by free will. The angelic hierarchy uh, didn't. Um, meanwhile, uh, there's a lot of confusion, because in Sanskrit, deva, which is basically higher, ben higher dimensional benevolent being, uh, sort of includes both those with free will and those without, which would be uh, <laughs> confederation or extraterrestrial groups at higher levels, positive, and the real angelics um, without free will born of the creator. Anyway, there are planetary angelics helping. There's the seventh density, my body spirit complex totality um, level of our being involved. There's the higher self or Atman level of our being involved. And then other entities that are resident in the astral plane, inner plane, meaning astral, uh, upper astral, that are attracted by our seeking. And so, my friends, the more you do seeking, the more you do meditation, the more you live in love light, the more you have friends in high places. Friends in high places, including um, upper astral benevolent uh, initiates, adepts, um, <laughs> fellows who have evolved by adept path work <clears throat> on earth and then the visiting um, visiting students in the in the sangha so it's a good thing to do spiritual work uh, higher dimensional uh, benevolent beings um, remain with us long term throughout incarnations by that work the second class <clears throat> of those who ward or um, uh, protect or guide or guard the process are the confederation. This is very esoteric, this standing in small places at the edges of the steps of light love. This is, I think, just associated with um, the um, intricacy or subtlety of the higher self activating the fourth density body <clears throat> and making sure that, that um, there is a full or adequate coordination of the newly activated fourth density energy body for those who are harvesting with the already in activation first, second, third chakra related energy bodies uh, for that entity. And so maybe they get people get confused, unable to make contact with higher self. They're uh, assisting in a very specialized way uh, <clears throat> to make sure that, that entities um, can go through this uh, transform, you know, metaphysical transformation on inner planes, um, at, you know, in coordination with higher self, linking, you know, the first three activated bodies with the new or currently or now, you know, then flashing activation of the fourth density body, the energy field that, that uh, you know, that is required for, for uh, incarnation into fourth density, uh, making sure that that uh, energy activation coordination process 
remains, you know, uh, uh, coordinated or under uh, sufficient guidance of higher self. So you can see there are some people, some souls, who may be harvestable to fourth density, yet get confused or have um, stumble and fall, <clears throat> whatever that means, um, freak out <laughs> in the middle of the uh, harvesting process, uh, and have some problem. So graduation to 4D positive, uh, 51%, Ross said, you know, whatever that means, um, some basic... Uh, majority um, majority tendency um, to seek love light rather than to fall back into the conditions of first, second, third ray. Um, that, that level of development, although harvestable, the person may graduate, still may not be enough for the person to um, have some serious difficulty during harvest process. So it's all so subtle third group watching over is what we really should call guardians with a capital G from the octave above our own, the next octave, eighth density, could be called light bringers. Gautama was called a way shower, shower of the way. Light bringers uh, bringing what? Intelligent, bringing the light that comes directly from intelligent infinity in eighth density down to the uh, third density, fourth density transitional process of harvest. And this <laughs> this sentence is one of the most, you know, uh, Roz is showing off a little bit here with the, the tonality, the tonality of the sentence saying, <clears throat> these guardians provide the precise emissions of light love in exquisitely fastidious disseminations of discrimination so that the precise light love vibration of each entity may be ascertained. So this is actually helping higher self ascertain its own correct handling, I think, of the uh, initiatory harvesting, quote, harvesting. It's really a, it's really a metaphysical initiation. That, you know, we can call it a harvesting. <clears throat> it is kind of a, kind of a imprecise word um, laden with a confused connotation. We're really talking about um, the... Uh, the initiation of an entity's fourth uh, fourth chakra energy field and coordination sufficiently with one, two, three to stand the light to then um, be qualified for incarnation in, in fourth density, time, space, and then space-time. But this uh, exquisitely fastidious disseminations of discrimination, so you see a lot of S and C, like Scott, Scott. So, precise emissions of light love in exquisitely fastidious disseminations of discrimination. So, Ra's showing off how precise their Blu-ray may be. And um, you see the word precise twice <laughs> in the same sentence. Uh, <clears throat> but, you know, Blu-ray, Blu-ray, um, you know, is a blue diamond. And um, um, beautifully faceted blue diamond is lovely. Raw is two. Harvest is automatic. Meanwhile, there are helpers, and that's creation. You know, there there is an automaticity, or um, kind of a system based um, system based inevitability. 
<laughs> or um, again, automatic, um, beyond uh, free will, dynamic in play with harvesting or graduation or this initiation, just like karmic return too. Meanwhile, there are many beings around helping the process. And this is called a fullest or a fuller opportunity to express one's violet ray selfhood. And that's meaning to continue on the path to the complete development of the seven rays. 51.2. Wow, we almost did <laughs> half an hour on one question. 51.2, another important material, um, or interesting at least, although not <laughs> called transient. This is the transient question. Don says, thank you. The next, This next question I feel to be a transient type of question. However, it's been asked me by one whom I have communicated with who has been intensely involved in the UFO portion of the phenomenon. If you deem it too transient, we'll skip it. Dot, 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 dot. Um, I have been asked, how is it possible for the craft of the fourth density to get here in that it seems that as you approach velocity of light, mass approaches infinite. Um, so approaching light speed velocity equals mass approaching infinity. We've talked about increase of spiritual mass, and it was just a question as to how this transition from very distant planets is made in craft, and my question would be why craft would be necessary at all. This is not an important question, and it is several questions. They're actually quite interesting. Ross says, you have asked several questions. We shall respond in turn. Firstly, we agree that this material is transient, um, not of principle. Secondly, those, for the most part, coming from distant points, as you term them, do not need craft as you know them. This query itself requires understanding which you do not possess. We shall attempt to state what may be stated. Firstly, so we go firstly to secondly, and then secondly to back to firstly, but it's a different firstly, it's 2.1. Scott's gloss. Secondly, firstly, <laughs> there are a few third density entities, groups, who have learned to use craft to travel between star systems while experiencing the, limitation, the limitations you now understand. However, such entities have learned to use hydrogen in a way different from your understanding now. These entities still take quite long durations of time, as you measure it, to move about. However, these entities are able to use hypothermia, uh, low temperature, to slow the physical and mental complex processes in order to withstand the duration of flight. Those such as are from Sirius are of this type. There are two other types. Um, types of craft, types of um, propulsion or transport technology. One, so 2.11, one is the type which, coming from fourth or fifth or sixth density in your own galaxy, has access to a type of energy system which uses the speed of light as a slingshot and thus arrives where it wishes without any perceptible time elapsed in your view. The other type of experience or craft propulsion, I think, is that of fourth and fifth and sixth densities of other galaxies, and some within your own galaxy, which have learned the necessary disciplines of personality to view the universe as one being, and therefore are able to proceed from locus to locus by thought alone, materializing the necessary craft, if you will, to enclose the light body of the entity. So, this is transient, but it's pretty deep talking about interstellar, interdimensional travel uh, in general. Um, Ross saying, in general, 
for the most part, um, those of fourth and fifth and sixth density that are coming here don't need craft. Uh, and I've said before, if if the if the ET needs a ship, don't trust him. <laughs> Meanwhile, um, yogis, you know, and sixth density groups, and some in fifth, I imagine, are traveling by thought, and that's the last type that Ra explains. But we'll go one by one. <clears throat> so generally, they don't need craft. Okay, fourth density entities, groups, positive and negative, generally do need, but. That's not the majority of uh, groups here. You know, Orion has a kind of um, exaggerated, um, exaggerated presence in this world because the human leadership is, you know, serves the self, the minions uh, from the Illuminati uh, entertainment group that are uh, following Orion. That's why, uh, you know, <clears throat> the, the squeaky wheel gets the grease or the, the <laughs> trouble, trouble, you know, the, the uh, rotten apple smells up the whole barrel. But actually, the majority of, of extraterrestrials coming here are benevolent 4th um, and 5th and 6th density groups. And the majority of them don't need craft at all. However, there are different types of craft or propulsion um, based on the different level of uh, development, or it's really the level of development as much as it is the density origin of the different extraterrestrial group that's coming here. In the case of 3D entities, such as those from Sirius who made contact with, what, I always forget this guy's name, Travis Walton, or, I always remember, it's not Travis Walton, it's the other guy. Anyway, somebody can write it if you remember. The, um, I guess it's Pascagoula um, case. Um, they were really Syrians from third density positive, <laughs> which is very rare that third density groups do space travel. They know they're using hydrogen, they are using hypothermia to slow body-mind process, and the flights really do take a long time um, because of that, you know, the laws of physics, because they're still third density and they're not working with higher densities. They're just 3D physical uh, beings from some other planet, from, you know, some planet uh, at the physical level, third density, in the Sirian star system now. That's interesting. Sirius is considered a very important, um, one of the most important um, sources of spiritual guidance to humanity um, since the beginning of the 3D cycle. I believe that the, the main Sirian, uh, Sirius, um, extraterrestrial source of assistance to planet Earth is sixth density positive, obviously, sixth density, while there must be, you know, 3D and maybe there's fourth, fifth, I don't know, other levels <clears throat> of civilization uh, on planets in the Syrian star system of Sirius, who are also benevolent and also helping humanity. But the main helper, I think, is sixth density Sirius and fourth density positive Pleiades, and then, you know, Ra from Venus, and Andromeda, maybe Arcturus. Uh, these are some of the main helpers that are, I think, are in the seven solar system uh, network that Ra's confederation is a part of. Anyway, that's, that's how these 3D positive Syrian extraterrestrials come here. Then you've got other uh, groups from 4th, 5th, 6th density in this galaxy um, that use um, a slingshot principle for light or intelligent energy, and there's no time elapsed. Finally, 
the highest quality, highest, I think, you know, level of uh, skill in interstellar, interdimensional travel would be also from some fourth, fifth, sixth density groups of other galaxies and some within your own galaxy. So we do have wanderers here from other galaxies. And every once in a while I've met wanderers who really seemed foreign. <laughs> now, does that mean they're foreign to <clears throat> this galaxy or they're just their first time on Earth or their body and mind just um, retains more of the characteristics of their originating, you know, um, beingness from their other, you know, non, non-human or extraterrestrial group. They've only had one or two lifetimes this is their first time here, or they're from another galaxy, I don't know. But it's an interesting thought that some wanderers are really from other galaxies. Um, why they would come here, I don't know they're probably specialists and um, represent sort of visiting professors um, in the in the local confederation here uh, <clears throat> to observe and assist hopefully in uh, dimensional shift and uh, planetary harvest but the third and highest skill it seems to me in interstellar interdimensional time travel interdimensional travel uh, is this is comes from spirit is a city a power of mind uh, the result of disciplines of personality or adept training viewing seeing knowing viewing they know the universe is one place all is one right so this is this awareness of unity may still be uh, developed somewhat by entities in fourth and fifth density don't think that uh, only sixth density entities know the law of one. Uh, no. Um, higher self, sixth density, obviously. Ra, um, maybe Sirius, other groups in sixth density, obviously, Yahweh group, I think. Sure, they understand the law of one. But those in fourth and fifth, by adept training, you see, <clears throat> there can be entities just like in third density. We have adepts here. Um, likewise, in fourth and fifth density, too, there are entities that have done, um, you know, initiatory adept training. Um, hardcore meditation and discipline uh, and uh, activated six chakra sufficiently to travel without a craft. <clears throat> they travel by mind. Um, uh, teleportation. Mental teleportation. It's a very well-known city. Some Buddhist uh, adepts have that. Some people in India have that. It's, it's, a, you know, it's a skill. It's a city. So anyway, they travel, they proceed from locus to locus by thought alone, materializing necessary craft, if they need or when they need, to enclose their light body. And Ross said that um, that's how they travel too. 51.3, Don says, I assume that the latter type, meaning travel by mind, um, mind and will, without any reliance on physical technology. The latter type is the type that we experience with most of our landings from Orion, uh, Ross said, <clears throat> the Orion group is mixed between the penultimate and the latter groups. Now, does that mean the penultimate and the latter? What's the penultimate and what's the latter? Well, it seems the penultimate, meaning the real ultimate, <clears throat> would be uh, the last type of um, uh, having the city of teleportation by mind alone. 
I guess Orion can do that. I didn't know that. Uh, it seemed to me that they are using certain kind of energy or technologies. So I'm surprised if Orion is traveling by mind alone. But you see, like the fifth density entity that was a Carla attacking Carla obviously doesn't use a craft, actually. And so you would, I would say <clears throat> probably 5D negative Orion is using um, mind training, discipline, city power to come without craft, while 4D negative Orion uses craft technology and um, some type of physical motive um, other than mind. So they're here too by their own methods. Uh, the final question on UFOs here is 51.4, also a very deep question. This stuff is very interesting in the UFO um, enthusiasts, <laughs> as I am, sort of, or have been, uh, will we'll find a lot of food for thought. The question here, 51.4, Don says, asks, why is a vehicle necessary um, for this transition? When you, as Ra, went to Egypt earlier, you use bell-shaped craft, but you did this by thought. And brackets, can you tell me why you used a vehicle rather than just materializing the body? Ross said, the vehicle or craft is that thought form upon which our concentration may function as motivator. We would not choose to use our mind-body-spirit complexes as the focus for such a working. So this is super esoteric. <clears throat> They're saying that, yes, even though they appeared in Egypt uh, with a bell-shaped craft, that, mm, that appearance or materialization was done by thought alone, not technology. They used the vehicle or the uh, bell-shaped craft was not the way they traveled. It was simply um, the, what they're saying uh, used as a motivator um, used as the focus for their interdimensional travel um, in much the same way as Tibetan Buddhists, Vajrayana, Tantric um, yogis, adepts are using the form, the body form of um, wrathful or peaceful deities in certain um, advanced tantric um, meditation practices, rituals, ceremonies, but particularly individual practices, they use the um, form visualized in mind, the visualized form in mind of particular deities like Guya Samadja and other guys, uh, <clears throat> to uh, do a particular working of mind and the form, the body form image, the image of the body form of the deity uh, is comparable I think to the image of the UFO craft as the um, object of concentration into which they will um, into which they um, bring consciousness and intention and so it functions as a motivator, or it's a, it's a support or catalyst to fulfill the motivation or the intention of that interdimensional travel. Uh, it's the focus for the working. And 
they're not using their their seven dimensional self, mind body spirit complex, as the focus for the working. They're using the uh, particular characteristics of a UFO craft form image, thought form. It's a thought form made by their mind that appears in 3D uh, physical, uh, perceptible to our senses, um, used as an object of concentration in the meditation or the practice that leads to the interdimensional travel. And um, another hint for those few who are ready, um, when one uses one's own mind-body-spirit complex or total seven-dimensional self as the focus for, uh, as the object of concentration and the focus of working in vipassana, Buddhist uh, meditation, seeking insight or prajna, supramundane prajna, wisdom, enlightenment, beyond the trances, not the jhanas, but using, um, taking one's beingness, seven-dimensional beingness, namarupa, name and form or consciousness in the five skandhas, taking the five skandhas, seven-dimensional self, as the focus for uh, concentration and analysis, that actually will lead to, can lead to liberation or moksha or nirvana, nibban. Meaning, one focuses on um, the seer and the process of seeing to deconstruct that. And one finds the three marks, anicca, anatta, dukkha, and one finds the cessation of the arising of, of perception, actually. And then um, there's nirvikalpa samadhi, <clears throat> or um, insight and awakening. So that's a different, but that's a different <laughs> work <laughs> than the work of interdimensional travel. All right. Um, 51.5, um, Don has a long statement. I'll read it all. Thank you again. Don says, I'd like to make a statement. I'm sure I'm somewhat off with this. It's it's a very difficult question to ask for me. I don't really know what I'm talking about. It seems to me, and you can tell me where I'm going wrong, that we have seven bodies, each corresponding to one of the seven colors of the spectrum. Okay, And that energy creates these seven bodies, which is intelligent energy, is a universal type of energy that streams into our planetary environment and comes in through seven energy centers that we have called chakras to develop and perfect these bodies. And this is dot, dot, dot. Each of these bodies is somewhat related, somehow related to the mental configuration that we have. And the perfection of each of these bodies and the total in-streaming of this energy, meaning the quality of the seven chakras and the seven energy fields, which is right. The, the total in-streaming of this energy is a function of the mental configuration. And through this mental, he really means consciousness, through this mental configuration, we may block to some extent the in-streamings of energy that create each of the seven bodies, or going to the seven chakras. Could you comment on where I am wrong and correct me in this that I have stated? It's a pretty deep comment or statement. Ross says, your statement is substantially correct to use the term, quote, mental configuration, <laughs> is to oversimplify the manners of blockage of in-streaming which occur in your density. So we're talking about 
blockage of the in-streaming or energy dynamism of the seven rays as they relate to the seven energy bodies, seven energy fields of the total entity, total seven-dimensional self. The mind, um, to use the term mental configuration, is to oversimplify the manners of blockage of in-streaming which occur in your density. The mind complex has a relationship to the spirit and body complexes which is not fixed. Thus, blockages may occur betwixt spirit and mind, or body and mind, upon many different levels. We reiterate that each energy center has seven sub-colors, let us say for convenience. Thus, spiritual mental blockages combined with mental bodily blockages may affect each of the energy centers in several differing ways. Thus, you may see the subtle nature of the balancing and evolutionary process. Very hardcore answer. Um, splitting uh, hairs or um, subcategorizing the seven rays into sub-ray or sub-energy dynamics in terms of the quality, the, the possible, the whole range of possible blockages in the total mind-body-spirit complex system. So, for convenience sake, we may say, I may say that, chakras one, two, let's, well, it depends on how you want to play it, but we can say that first ray, um, red ray, is um, a chakra associated with body, mainly. We can say that second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth rays, the five middle, um, are the chakras associated with mind, where the lower mind would be two and three personal body or identified mind, and the transpersonal mind is four, five, love, wisdom. And the, um, the field of consciousness itself, the, the, the field of sentience itself, which is not the qualities of mind, but the structure of uh, sentience itself, in which there's an experience of either personal and or, or, or transpersonal mind, is six ray. So we can say uh, second and third chakras represent personal mind, more body and space-time identified. Fourth and fifth green-blue represents transpersonal mind or um, universal mind, or let's just say um, the greater potentials of mind no longer identified wholly only with body or space-time transpersonal mind of love-wisdom, the essential qualities of mind. And sixth ray represents the structure of mind itself or consciousness as a distinct function from, from basically the other skandhas, you see. You know? The fourth skanda, uh, samskara, fashionings, uh, fabrications, conceptualizations, really, cogni you know, exocogitations, one, one guy wrote. The... Um, cognitive thought form fashioning fabrication function um, of samskara um, would make use of uh, the the you know would, would be put into play or in the service of whatever level of mind we're working from whether it's personal or transpersonal so the person who's significantly blocked two and three meaning mainly block two and three and not much develop four and five, working mainly from the personal mind, which would be 
um, associated with body and sensation, associated with emotionality, associated with sense of self identified with body and personality and the 3D physical environment. Uh, the fashionings of their mind would be fashionings of second and third ray mainly. For the person who's developed more in four and five and, and touches and values the universals of, of love and discernment, four five, their fashionings or samskaric quality would be associated mainly with green-blue. But uh, that fashioning takes place within the context of what's the fifth skanda called vijnana, or consciousness. To me, that's the sixth chakra portion of mind, which is sort of the, the roof of mind, the sky of mind, um, chitakash, the um, akashic space of chitta. Um, that's another aspect of mind in my little book, and the seventh ray we'll call that spirit. So then, of course, or we can say six and seven and the bridge and the gateway, six to seven is spirit too. Uh, in that case, we can see, yeah, sure, of course, there are going to be multiple and subtle blockages of, um, you know, uh, distorted or non, you know, not yet purified or perfected energy coordination between higher and lower chakras, you know? So what about the coordination of uh, spirit to mind, blockages between spirit and mind? What does that mean? Well, uh, blockages between... Let's say what second, third chakra, second, third, fourth, fifth chakras, and six or seven chakra. Uh, how's your two point six? How's your uh, your five point two? How's fifth chakra, second subplane? That's mind to mind. But um, let's say I guess it would be actually six point six point two or or uh, three point six. If we want to say that uh, spirit includes six chakra, um, which I think we have to actually, we can say that six chakra, or I would reform, revise what I just said and say that um, we can say that mind is two, three, four, five, clearly, easily. Uh, six chakra itself seems to be a bridge between body mind and um, the infinity of seventh ray, which is holy spirit complex. but. There can be blockages <clears throat> in between second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh ray, right? The subplanes of second and third and fourth and fifth chakras, uh, 2.7 and 2.6, you know, 3.6, 3.7. Um, these subplanes have a problem, meaning there's coordination problems between sixth and seventh chakra spirit complex related and second, third, fourth, fifth chakras. So these, I think, are blockages betwixt spirit and mind. Likewise, body and mind, right? How's your 4.1? How's your uh, 5.1? How's your 1.5? <laughs> That's interesting. So it's very complex, and yet there are blockages that are not only of what Don's calling mental configuration. And so, you know, you, you don't unblock chakras by thinking the right way. Um, chakra clearance leads to right view and right thinking. Um, clear comprehension uh, comes from chakra development. Um, and uh, thinking this way or that doesn't um, change chakra conditions per se. But we can say energy follows thought. <clears throat> thought, leads emotion, thought leads energy. 
the energy of the seven chakras, seven chakra conditions, uh, follows thought, but it's not thought form based thought. It's actually intentional and deep mind attitudinal thought. So if one at the deep mind senses self is totality or self is greater than body mind, that quality of thought, which is really pre pre thought form, it's the basis, it's the deep mind core beliefs or attitudinal positions um, in mind that determine how we think and the particular thoughts we think, though that level of mind influences the chakras. But, I mean, obviously everything, every thought influences the chakras, okay. But the determination of chakra conditions, in my understanding, is, is the long-term result of deep mind attitudes um, about self, about purpose in life, about values, and uh, orientation, obviously, moral orientation. So it's not the same as I'm a good student and I learned all that Ross said and I can repeat it back and I think I understand it a little. All my chakras are clear, right? No. Wrong. Meaning, um, it's, it's the deep work of healing and balance <laughs> that is the result of an attitude that I seek healing and balance and I need healing and balance and these ways of working with my experience is, seems to be of healing and balance like acceptance and understanding and uh, taking responsibility and forgiveness. Deep mind views those qualities of mind as the path and then puts them into practice in application to experiential catalyst or stuff that arises and that leads to changes in chakra conditions. So it's not mental configuration in terms of thinking the right thoughts. It's actually having attitudes skillful, skillful attitudes, in conformity with the way, with the path, with the, the requirements for continued positive polarization. Meanwhile, each chakra has seven subcolors or subplanes, and so you've got blockages in the coordination of mind chakras versus spirit chakras, which are pretty pretty much six and seven. You've got coordination problems, blockages in the relationship between chakras associated with body and mind, not only mind and spirit, even spirit and body, you know, six and one. So there's uh, <laughs> there are blockages all, all across the uh, board um, in the spectrum from uh, red through violet. Um, and anybody who says, now my chakras are cleared, or thanks for that, now my chakra is clear, and let me clear your chakra. This is baby talk, metaphysically, it seems to me. Because if you can't see um, the details, the very fine, fine magnifications of the seven ray output, you don't really know what chakras are in what condition. <laughs> well, but I think it's fair to assume that we have blockages in all seven somewhat. So, Ross said, thus you may see the subtle nature of the balancing and evolutionary process, and that's why uh, you don't only live once. Um, because soul evolution in cosmic plan is a subtle, long-term, very fine, delicate work. And um, blockages are uh, all over 
the seven ray configuration and of their um, mal coordination, their inadequate, perf you know, imperfect coordination. So takes a time to get back to the logos, you know. Um, the last question for today will be fifty one six. Next time we'll pick it up with fifty one seven. I think fifty one six. I am unsure as to whether this will provide an avenue of questioning that questioning or not that will be fruitful. However, I'll ask this question since it seemed to me there's a possibility of connection here. Don continues, on the back of the book, Secrets of the Great Pyramid, there are several reproductions of Egyptian drawings or works, some showing birds flying over horizontal entities. Could you tell me what this is and if it has any relationship to Ra? Ra said from the book Secrets of the Great Pyramid. I don't know who wrote that. Ra said, these drawings of which you speak are some of many which distort the teaching of our perception of death as the gateway to further experience. These distortions, the distortions, concern those considerations of specific nature as to processes of the so-called dead mind-body-spirit complex. This may be termed in your philosophy the distortion of Gnosticism. G, capital G, Gnosticism, that is, the belief that one may achieve knowledge and a proper position by means of carefully perceived and accentuated movements, concepts, and symbols. In fact, the process of the physical death is as we have described before, one in which there is aid available, and the only need at death is the releasing of that entity from its body by those around it, and the praising of the process by those who grieve. By these means may the mind-body-spirit which has experienced physical death be aided, not by the various perceptions of careful and repeated rituals. Bang. Ra, Ra breaks the second fetter, uh, attachment to rites and rituals, Buddhism. Uh, Sotapanna breaks the second, the first, second, third fetters. The second fetter, I believe it's a second, but it's one of the first three broken by Sotapanna awakening in Buddhism, which is uh, attachment to rites and rituals, which means, um, beautifully stated by Ra, <laughs> really, <laughs> quite uh, threaded the needle here. Um, the Now, many people have view of Gnosticism that's not quite what Ra is saying here, but their view of Gnosticism fits perfectly with um, my limited understanding of what the second fetter uh, broken in Sotapanna is, which Buddhism called attachment to rites and rituals. What does that mean? Um, it would be then that a belief that one may achieve knowledge and proper position Proper position means um, um, the proper destination post-death in this case. So uh, awakening, the, the Gnosticism that Ra is talking about is uh, a belief that not knowledge, gnosis sometimes called, gnosis, or proper uh, metaphysical positioning or direction may be achieved by means of carefully perceived, right, means seeing clearly, and then accentuated or exaggerated or performed movement, concepts, and symbols. So in mind and in physical body, ritualistic behavior and internal practices or exercises, one um, does certain ritualistic physical activity, movement, based on certain symbol, symbolic systems. You know, when I when I move this way and when I say this, these words or mantra, um, these, uh, according to my concept, um, represent what? 
uh, calling certain gods or unlocking certain levels or changing the one who says or assisting the one who's died. Um, this kind of, th this is, this is rites and rituals, um, carefully perceived and, um, performed and exaggerated or accentuated, emphasized physical movement, body movement, based on certain concepts and, um, in performance of certain uh, objectives associated with those concepts of how it's done, the way to do it, the method, the proper method they imagine, and symbols, <clears throat> physical symbols and mental visualization images that are symbolic. That uh, is one view of Gnosticism. <laughs> it's not the only view. Um, it's certainly, um, in my book, uh, associated with rites and rituals that in Buddhism or at the second fetter breaking for Sotapanna, is that uh, there's an understanding that <clears throat> the um, that gnosis itself um, is separate from any kind of activity of body mind uh, that may get you to the doorstep. That. Um, to see, to, you know, that a, a vision, Ra, Ra's really making the, the point that for, for those who have passed over, it's not necessary for people to do ritual to help them. It's not necessary for ceremony or um, proper performance. It's not necessary. And that, that's sort of a, a, a liberating thought. Um, and I'll pull this back to the Buddhist perspective of freedom from attachment to rites and rituals in a moment. But, number one, Ra is saying that this type of ritualistic activity, ceremonial behavior, um, with, with perceptions of concepts and symbol, symbolic meaning, body movement, uh, carefully performed, that's not, the that's not necessary to help those who died. For those who die, what's really helpful the only need at death, Theros says, is releasing the entity from its body by those around it, meaning um, it's good that he, she, you know, is, is gone to a greater life. And then praising the process for those who loved or love that one who are grieving. Praising the process. Praise to the one infinite, you know, to God. Praise to God in life and death. Praise to the process of evolution. Um, coming and going. That's the way it is, you know. We come in, we go out. That's necessary. <laughs> it's the way of, um, in, you know, evolution or experience in this dimension. To be born, uh, to have experience, and to die. That's called samsara. The realm of birth and death. Arising, persisting, and passing away. All that's subject to origination uh, is subject to cessation. Body and incarnation, too. And so... One takeaway here is that there are many helpers at death. Um, there is aid available. <laughs> There's lots of aid available. That's a real understatement here. There are many entities helping with the death process who are fully aware that the entity is now leaving their physical 3D shell. There are many entities, even in the case of sudden death, who are very aware that that entity is now leaving the physical and has, quote, died. So what's really necessary is not holding the person back emotionally by astral cording, 
um, by um, grieving in such a way uh, as to exert a metaphysical pull on the entity, making it difficult for them to get out of the astral shell and move to the higher astral to continue the post-death process of healing, life review, preparation for the next time around. And so, number one, there's lots of aid available at death. Much, much, many. Number two, um, rites and rituals are not necessary for the um, the newly dead, the person who died, to um, go where they need to go and have a fine experience and um, be released into the greater life of um, time-space and higher-dimensional life. Uh, likewise, um, in Buddhism, there's the view that um, attachment to rites and rituals uh, is this view is a mistake uh, imagining that if I carefully um, uh, generate this ritual activity uh, with accentuated movements based on certain concepts based on certain symbolism then awakening will come inevitably one two three that's not the case because uh, awakening in Buddhism is not a state it's the perception of the deathless and what's beyond um, arising and passing away. It's a, it's a, rec- it's, it's, it's basically a perception that is um, associated with the end of the five, sc- a temporary cessation of five skanda activity, and it's even beyond consciousness. Gautama said, even consciousness is born of ignorance. So ritual is important um, for certain powers and activities. But it's certainly not necessary to help the newly dead or the person after death, and it's not um, a a, um, a one oh, big butterfly. It's not a um, inevitable um, requirement or requirement that that is um, that inevitably leads to um, awakening in Buddhism even though certain traditions like Tantra, Vajrayana are very heavily ritualistic and uh, ceremonial and, and great achievement can happen um, but there's a certain letting go of even the practice that leads to awakening so now um, <laughs> that can be, you know, we can get into this even longer but not for today so why don't we end the, f- the first reading of session 51 here um, at um, this 51.6 but you can see that over time lots of uh, religious metaphysical teaching is lost and confused and so birds flying over horizontal entities in these Egyptian drawings from Secrets of the Great Pyramid um, is what Ra called distorting their teaching of their perception of death as gateway to further experience so date, get death as gateway. Very much true. Uh, waking up in the morning is a gateway to further experience. <laughs> and uh, being born or, or uh, overshadowing the fetus is also a gateway to further experience. Uh, it, there are different types of experience. But you can see there's lots of distortion in um, you know, ancient religious art, although there are seed truths there too. So death-like the liberation of soul like the bird arising from the body flying away um, the soul the spirit going to a, a greater life a greater um, 
light realm, light-filled realm of uh, higher astral and post-death experience, where there's lots of aid available. But we certainly shouldn't get hung up on technique. Ross said, begin and end in the creator, not in technique. And so technique is valuable uh, as a means to approach Godhead or the Absolute or Awakening or um, realization of the deathless. It may be very helpful, obviously, of course. However, um, at some point the mind has to drop um, the perception, the dualistic perceptions of me doing this practice to get this goal. Me doing a practice to get any goal, that conceptual, that, that conceptual uh, complex of thought forms has to be dropped and dissolved. Then the practice, uh, then, then the person is, you know, um, doing practice but not conceiving of practice. <laughs> then they, there may be penetration. Okay, so on that interesting note, um, we'll end session 51 first half today for now. Next time we'll pick up at 51.7, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. And um, that certainly gives us enough time. Thank you so much for being here today. I hope it was helpful. I wish you all well. And um, take good care and good night.